Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. It is so great to be here, as J.D. said. I'm Jimmy Seibert, and uh, I have the privilege of uh, leading the Antioch movement. And man, it is just great to be with family. Uh, Many of you guys I've known through the years in this location. I've been a part of the journey from the very beginning, from Hope in the City to Antioch South. And, you know, when I was uh, walking in this morning, I thought, you know, a lot of things change through the years, but the main thing never changes. We're still here talking about Jesus. We're still here saying we want to love each other. We're still here saying we want to make an impact in our community for the glory of God. When those things remain, then we're good to go no matter what. And I'm going to be sharing a little bit about that today. But hey, I, want to, I just did want to start off and say uh, again, for all of you guys, here's what I know about J.D. and Liz Griffin. They only want to lead you with everything that you need from heaven. They have one goal, and that's to be perfect. But they're not going to be, so they're clear about that. But they have one desire, and that's to lay their life down so that you guys may live. And not just J.D. and Liz, but obviously the incredible leaders we have here who have already done that. But I wanted us to take a moment and just thank God for J.D. and Liz and to put some encouragement in their hearts this morning. Can we do that? So proud of you. I've been with him as he's on his face crying out in tears saying, oh God, would you do all that you can do in me and through me for your glory? That's who you have leading you. And I do want to say, because Andrew Weibel's on the front row and you guys see him around at the college, I just do want to say that I've known him from birth till today. And um, you know him as a happy, just generous, loving soul. But I just want to say, as a child, (laughs) this man was one of the more strong-willed kids I've ever met. Uh, so for an example, when his dad gave him a command and he stomped on his, or his mother, excuse me, was it your mom's foot or your dad's foot? Who's your dad's, that's right. Stomps on his dad's foot and says, no, I'm not going to do it. That was like at three or four. That, that was also uh, some tough years. I remember we were at a wedding reception and um, Andrew was uh, just kind of being a little out of control to say the least. And Danny, his dad, just looked at us and said, who's the nicest person in the world, right? Just wants to be at peace with everybody. Can't believe that he birthed a child like this. And he's, and he's at the reception, and he's just saying, I'm done. I got to go. And it was his nephew's reception. I mean, uh, Andrew's cousin. And, and he's saying, I'm done. I just can't handle anymore. I said, man, I'll pray for you, bro. Just t-. And, and actually, I said, I encourage you. Just get out of here. Just t- take him uh, with you. So... They're on the way home, and Andrew uh, is frustrated because he wants to go back to reception to eat more cake and do what he wants to do. And he said, Dad, I'm giving you two options. You either take me home and you don't spank me, or you take me back to that reception right now. <laughs> both of those were to his advantage, uh, both options. But if you ever want a testimony of the redemption of God, just look at our brother on the front row. All you parents out there, your strong-willed child can turn out like a man of God that we see today. Uh, Anyway, love you guys, love Jesus, and and I want to jump in this morning with a a couple of familiar passages, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you. Again, just for context, many of you, of course, are familiar with this passage. But here's the context of the scripture. The children of Israel are in bondage in Babylon. They literally have rebelled against God so thoroughly that they're now being ruled by another king. Do you know that one of the problems with rebellion that it puts you under the rulership of someone else? When we choose our way instead of God's way, it's not just that, oh, you know, that's just not a good idea, it's not God-honoring. It puts us in bondage to the world around us. And that's what's happened to the children of Israel. These are the people of God. I mean, you can't get more promises. They have thousands of promises from God of how he wants to bless them and help them and get behind them. But they've chosen their way instead of God's way. And they're now in bondage. The king of Babylon's ruling over them and they're forgetting who they are. They're getting hopeless in the midst of their situation. And in the midst of it, God raises up a prophet to declare boldly, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, even in your rebellion. I know the plans I have for you. And they're good, they're for good and not for evil. Wherever you are today in your personal journey, whether you have rebelled against God, whether you're in the middle of a broken place, whether you're hopeless, or whether you're having a great day, God knows the plans he has for you, and his intention today is to bring you into goodness and loving kindness, not to reject you and keep you away. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, in the midst of even our sin, and it's for good and not for evil. But here's the deal. I wish I could tell you that there wasn't a condition. Now, there is no condition for the love of God because God cannot be anything but himself. His love is for you and towards you, and you can't do anything about it because not, God's not changing his nature. So I find that many times we spend the majority of our time trying to convince ourselves that God loves us. Can I just help you from wasting time? He loves you. <laughs> Because he can't be anything but himself. I love my kids regardless of what they do. I can't be anything but my intention for them is good and not evil. God loves you. His intention towards you is good. And through the blood of Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, he's made access to him on a daily basis. So his love is sure. The question is whether your love is responsive. Whether you're responding to that great message. So here's what he says to the children of Israel. I got your back. I still have good plans for you. You've messed up, but there's a new day. Come on. My plans are good and not evil. But then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me, not with some of your heart, but with all of your heart. So in the journey, there has to be a response of the people that God created, that a response to his goodness, even in the midst of our badness, even in the midst of our difficulties, even in the midst of our struggle, our response is what creates the pathway for the glory of God to show back up. And, you know, someone, yesterday we were talking about, I was talking with someone yesterday about 
doubt, you know. A friend of mine wrote a book on doubt um, and kind of that, that struggle that we all go through as followers of, of God or not followers of God, this doubt about is God real, is God good, and so on and so forth. And he wrote a book about it, uh, and, uh, and he wrote on the inside cover, he sent me the book, and he said, hey, Cybert, I, I, I know you don't do doubt, but what the heck, I sent you the book, and he signed it. And, and then the, the, the guy said, he laughed, and he said, so why don't you do doubt? I said, because it takes all my energy to believe. It takes my best energy to see God for who he is, to believe his promises, to submit to God and call out to God. I've got so much energy. I want all my heart to be directed towards God's faithfulness and to and wrestle through things from a perspective of believing instead of a perspective of critiquing. All right, this is, this is huge. This is huge. So you got one life to live. You have one heart that God's given you. You have a day called today. And the scripture admonishes us over and again. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, take the doubt that is normal. God can handle any normal human emotion you have. Doubt, fear, anxiety, hopelessness. You could stack the facts of my life so far has uh, uh, not been as I thought God promised, etc. You can do all that you want, but it doesn't work. Stay in there. That's why God sends prophets in the prophetic word to say, I know my plans, uh, says the Lord, they're good and not evil. Come on. Come on and seek me. Come on and obey me again. Come on and trust me again. And let's walk out of this thing and into the destiny that I have for you, for it's good and not evil. Woo. All right. So let's fast forward to the New Testament. And uh, Peter, 1 Peter is all about reminding us of the things we already know. Somebody was talking to me the other day and they were saying, oh, I know you already know this. And I said, hey, man, I need to know everything I already, need to, I already know every day. <laughs> Preach on. Tell me what I already know so that it renews my mind, so that I'm stirred up for what God has for me. And here's what it says of the people of God in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, um, quoting the Old Testament, by the way, says, You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So just in the book of Jeremiah, he's calling out to the people, children of Israel and saying, you are my children, my intent for you cannot be evil, it's only good. Now come to me and call to me. In 1 Peter, he's saying, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may declare my glory, that you may receive mercy and be who I've called you to be. There, he's reminding us who we are. And then it says in 1 Peter 2, preceding that, verses 4 and 5, says this, in coming to him, Jesus, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So here we go, people. If you know Jesus, then you are a living stone of Jesus. 
And the house of God is not just one beautiful stone. It is everybody being fitted together for the glory of God so that he might be seen here in Austin. He might be seen in your neighborhood. He might be seen in your workplace. When we fully respond to God and his promise, we begin to express the glory of God through the people of God called the church. And God's desire, he is waiting from on high to reveal his glory, not just through a person, but through a people. Right? So, so let's just say this. Let's go back to Andrew. I mean, what a beautiful stone, this guy. Right? So, so if he's, the, if he's the, big, the best Christian in the room, you'd say, oh, man, I want to be like Andrew. I, I mean, I've thought all my life, Andrew, I want to be like you. I, uh, well, maybe not in the early days, but... but you say, there's a beautiful Christian. There's somebody that's following God. Boy, I, I wish. But you know what? Even though Andrew's living fully out what God has for him, he's just a part. He's just a part of what God's doing. But I need him to live obedient. I need him to live fully on. I need him to be fully engaged because we need who he is. And so it is with this fellowship here. We need everybody, not because of numbers, not because of proving something, not for any other reason than to declare the glory of God to a world that is desperate for hope. You know that, man. You know that personally, but you know that in your workplace, in your neighborhood. You know the world is desperate for hope. And when people drive by here, they see the Antioch sign, they are asking the question, I wonder if there's hope there. I wonder if there's any help there. I wonder if I can connect to God if he's real. I wonder if there's any help. I wonder if this group will truly live out what they say about Jesus. You see, in the end, people are not opposed to the person of Jesus. They're opposed at times to the expression of Jesus that we carry. And so we're trying to say, God, we love you. God, make us a people after your own heart. Some of you guys uh, have been with me in the journey of my face. I, I uh, had got Bell's palsy, and it's still you can still see. If you're wondering, that guy looks normal, except there's a little something, a little drool come outside of his mouth. Um, uh, I got Bell's palsy, which attacks the nerves, and uh, and so on and so forth. And and I'm on the mend. It's just it's just a long journey. But that when when things like that happen, you pause in the trial. And of course you say, God, what are you doing? You rebuke the devil, you do all that. But really, more than anything, you say, all right, Jesus, here I am. And in this one, Lord, I'm not going to waste this trial. I'm going to find you because there's something you're shaping. There's something you're doing in me in the trial. And I want to get it all so that I can become more a part of what you're doing and express your glory. And that happens sometimes on an individual level. Sometimes it happens on a church level, but when we embrace the trial instead of agonize over the trial, we find God not only to be faithful, but to be transformative by nature. So let me just, let's just I'll just give you a little window. So as soon as this thing attacked my face, I mean, man, my face was down to here. I mean, I was dragging that thing around. And, um, and uh, it was pretty ugly and so on and so forth. But I just thought, well, I don't have energy to... Focus on me. God, what are you saying? And of course, I did a Bible study on face. And in the Old Testament, the word face or the face of God is the word for presence. It's the presence of God. May your 
face shine upon us, O God. May, the, may your presence, may who you are, your essence shine upon us. God said, seek my face. Uh, we sought the Father. We seek God, and his face is reflected in our seeking of him. Moses sought God in such a way that the glory of God was so powerful he'd had to put a veil over his face because people couldn't handle the shining reflection of the glory of God. Oh God, would you do that in me? Would you shine your reflection, your glory at such an extent? In the New Testament, what's the face of God in the New Testament? I'm going to tell you. It's the person of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the face of God in the New Testament. When you're looking for the Father, you look at Jesus. When you're looking for the presence of God, you look at Jesus. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the administrator of God in the New Testament, but Jesus is the face of God. So it says in 2 Corinthians 3, the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. We all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. So then this trial that was very visible became an opportunity to be changed. And that's good and not evil. Many times we call everything evil, and of course, there is a, it says submit to God, resist the devil. But even if, if it was a hit from the devil, God is able to redeem all things to them that believe that God is good and his plans are good and not evil. And back to the Jeremiah passage, if we'll seek him, we will find him. So with that as a backdrop, that Jeremiah 29, and that is a backdrop on 1 Peter of who we are as a people, I just want to take you down memory lane. It's, the, it's Grandpa's stories of how did we get here as, as the people of Antioch. For me, it started with a crisis, similar to this face crisis, a broken relationship in college, and I said, all right, I'm going to seek God. I want to love Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've loved Him with some of my heart, but not all of my heart. If you've never done the all of your heart thing in, Now's the time. So I did it. I, 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 and, and here's what I did. Just practically, I said, okay, I'm going to start in the book of Matthew. I'm going to read a chapter a day. And whatever it says, uh, Jesus, whatever Jesus says to you, I'm going to do it. And whatever Jesus did, I'm going to do it. Now, as a young believer, I had not read the Gospels or I may not have made that decision. <laughs> That's why obedience is just enough light for the next step. Just do the next thing. Don't worry about everything else. Let God just lead you step by step. And so as I read the Gospels, of course, and responded in obedience to the Word of God, life changed radically. As I often say, within six chapters, I'd given away about everything that I had and forgiven everybody I hadn't planned on forgiving. That's a good life. Right? Six chapters in, just six days with the word of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and obedient response. Well, over that summer, I would find my life absolutely transformed because the kingdom of God became real in the face of Jesus. And obviously, when God moves in an individual's heart, it's never just for the individual, but it's to add them to the people of God for the purpose of God. And I said, okay, God, what do we do from here? And got invited by a friend to go to 
Papua New Guinea to go out in the jungles of the world where people had never heard about Jesus. And so in response to this revelation of Jesus, there was an adventure of Jesus that I was invited into. And in that summer, that next summer, spending time in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, I saw the power of God in the midst of a broken people who had never heard. And I got addicted to sharing the gospel with people who've never heard. And in the midst of that journey, in these crazy places, we would see the power of God show up just like it did in the book of Acts. Communities of people gathering around Jesus, casting off their evil spirits in the darkness of their lives, and finding the communion of the Holy Spirit so real and so right that the book of Acts was not just something I read about, but something that I experienced. And in the midst of that journey as well, a third thing happened. I began to gather with people in our apartment, and we began to experience Acts 2, 42-47, where it lists out what Christian community is. And we began to experience the power of God and the presence of God by loving one another, ministering to one another, eating meals together, celebrating and crying together. There was something about the communion of the saints, the, the people of God gathered together house to house that would rock my world and change my life. One other thing happened in that little two-year period of time was I was introduced to a gentleman who still believed in the church. He just took us through the Bible. Here's what it says in the New Testament. He shared real-time stories about what the church could be here in America and around the world. So as I often say in those early years, I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with those who've never heard. And I fell in love with the church that he died for, the people of God. And I said, I am in no matter what the rest of my life because I have felt, tasted, and touched what Jesus has intended for us as a people, and I'm all in. Well, fast forward, one of the first steps we took was to have our discipleship school. You guys have Antioch Discipleship School. We started this in 1987. And you know what we started it with? The very thing that had happened to me personally, and that was what if we actually read the Word of God, believed it, and obeyed it? What if we actually prayed? What if we actually read the word and believed and responded? What if we actually shared our faith in a meaningful way on a daily basis? What if we actually discipled people intentionally so that they could disciple somebody else? What if we did it in community called the church and our thought was, I bet we could change the world? That was 32 years ago. As I stand here today, the Antioch movement, including Antioch South and North of Austin, Texas, as I stand here today, we're in 120 locations in 43 nations. We are ministering on a weekly basis to about 100,000 people that touches ultimately millions of people because a people has emerged who believe God together, not just an individual. It's not just a church. It's a people who believe God. This next 18 months is the Antioch movement. We will send out 30 new church planting teams among the unengaged unreached into the nations of the earth. We have on tap to plant five U.S. churches in the, in the next 18 months. We are multiplying in every direction now, but remember, it always started with an obedient response from somebody. Uh, Pope Francis uh, shared uh, a statement at the UN in a very, you know, kind of neutral way. He said, all right, it begins with one, and then another one, and then another one, and then it becomes us. And when it becomes us, then we're ready for a revolution of love. Isn't that great? 
It begins with my response to God today, and then the community's response to God, and then it becomes a revolution of transformation for the glory of God. And I could share stories all day long about seeing God do that. But let me fast forward to you. We're, we're in the training school. We're going along. And now it's, it's 1991. We've been going four years. And, um, and we had a heart for planting churches because everything that has life reproduces itself. And uh, we get invited in an opportunity to plant churches in southern Siberia. Now, there you go. Just start off from Waco, Texas. Where should we plant our first church? I think southern Siberia would be perfect. And that's the invitation that's out there before us. But a couple of things had happened the previous spring. And in the spring, we, we were seeking God. What's the next move for this community now that's emerging? Maybe it's 100 people now or 200 people. And we said, God, you know what? We don't want our dreams. We want your dreams. We prayed a prayer like this. And, and you actually, you can steal this prayer. You're, you're welcome to use it. And it's, God, I don't want my dream. I want yours. God, dream your dreams through me. How do you want to express yourself? And that could be business and healthcare and education and politics. There is no a boundary because everything is the Lord's for his glory. So I'm not bounding it by a church house or by a particular expression. But here's what I'm saying. If you spend your energy after your dream, you'll get to the top of it and you'll be dissatisfied. I promise you, as I get older, I've met people that have made the top of that dream who've made their millions or billions, who have had their influence or not, or etc. It's empty when it was your dream. But if it's God's dream, and you do it with Him, then not only are all things possible, but it's satisfying. Because you're doing it with Him, and not apart from Him. So anyway, we had prayed that prayer, and then I'm out in um, Los Angeles, uh, trying to figure out how do we plant churches. I'm out at Fuller Seminary. And I'm in a class, about 300 people just listening to a guy talk. And somebody comes up to me and gives me a scripture. And they said, I don't know you, but I felt like God said to give you the scripture. They give me the scripture, I put it in my pocket. I come home to Waco on that Sunday night. Somebody walks across a meeting just like this, walks over to me, said, I've been praying for you all weekend. God said to give you a scripture. Then our friend, Joe Ewan, who many of you guys know, uh, Joe called me from Scotland. He was a new friend of mine. He said, I've been praying for you all weekend, and God said to give you this scripture, Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. And this scripture has become a centerpiece for who we are as Antioch, not just in Waco, Texas, but here in Austin and around the world. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your, the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and the left, and your descendants will possess nations and resettle desolate cities. I want to say this to Antioch Austin. Strengthen your pegs. What's going on right now here is we're strengthening the base. We're re-strengthening. We're going deep and we're going wide because God's calling and promise is sure for this campus, for north, for everything to expand and multiply here in our city, here in our nation, and in the nations of the earth. You are in the middle of a family promise. When each of my son-in-laws came into the family, I laid hands on them and I prophesied over them Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. Whatever promises you're bringing to the family, amen. And I want to add, this is a promise to our family. And I believe in generational blessing that passes on from generation to generation, and may it increase. 
and this Antioch family, we have a promise. The bottom line is I so believe in it that whether I live or die, come or go, God's promise is sure for anybody in the Antioch movement that will take this up and say we believe. And sometimes people say, Galilee, how can we keep on expanding when we need to do this, that, or the other? How can we not? Read the scripture. This is a promise from God. So anyway, in the middle of this promise, we get invited to Siberia. So what I did is I thought, okay, can we do this? I remember one guy sent me, uh, when he heard us praying about it, uh, this guy sent me uh, a letter rebuking me for thinking that we could plant a church. You know, we were 27 and we had just started this little training school. And he sent top 10 reasons why you have no business planting a church. And I got very offended by the letter. And I said, okay, Lord, what do I do? You know, do I rebuke him? Do I, you know, call him up, whatever. And the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, well, why don't you go back and see if he's right? I said, you're right, don't know the language, don't have the experience, you're right, you're right. He was right on 8 out of 10. We had no business going making this next step. And then I said, well, Lord, are we not supposed to? And he said, well, what did I tell you to do? You told us to go. Oh, I guess we're going to go anyway. And we're going to learn. And the Lord said, use that as the checklist of what you need to learn, but don't stop obeying me. All these are three-hour sermons, J.D., sorry. The, the, <laughs> That pause right there. The people that correct you, right or wrong, that may be your checklist for transformation. Whether they get blessed or not, whether they get on the bandwagon or not, doesn't really matter. You can't control people, but you can control your response. And that became our checklist for growth and so on and so forth. So it's 1991. We get invited. I'm headed out to Siberia and, and uh, the three of us, we meet up with this YWAM team and they didn't tell us that the city we were in is a city that was closed, like you're not supposed to be there, military city. It's the middle of winter, and we were there, all right? So here we are, and we, we, are, we are saying, okay, uh, they say that the lady behind the counter is screaming at us, saying we're going to kick you out of, the, uh, uh, out of the hotel. We had our tickets booked for three weeks, and we are literally stuck in Siberia. So that first night, we... Do, the, do a, a, this one evening, people come to Jesus, they fill a stage just like this, they turn it over to me with this translator, and, and we, uh, I share with them the gospel, they come to Jesus, and we say we want to meet every night for the next three weeks. The only problem is that we're supposed to be kicked out of the city. So what do you do? What do you do when you've got this promise from God sitting in front of you, but every door is shut? You just say, Lord, You've led us this far. What's the next step? So the YWAM team leaves. This lady screaming at us and saying, we're going to throw all your stuff out on the curb um, by 3 o'clock today. So we had had one name of a guy that worked for the U.S. government. He was an Air Force guy. Because this little city was an armed inspection point for the Air Force. And we had, his name was Captain Scott Sarum. And so we... We had gotten that at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. It's a city of 350,000 people. Where is Scott Cerrone? No telephone number. We don't speak Russian. We're on our own. We learned to simply obey the next thing that God said to do. So I said, all right, guys, we're going to find Scott Cerrone. So we walk out the front door and we say, which way, Lord? Everybody felt left. We walk left for a couple hundred meters or whatever, come to the corner, and we all say, which way? And everybody felt left. I guess the Holy Spirit speaks left when you're in Russia a lot. We go left. About 300 meters up the road, there's a big camera 
on somebody's shoulder and they've got a U.S. flag on their big jacket. And we walk up and we hear them saying, a guy saying in front of the camera, this is Captain Scott Cerrone of the U.S. Air Force signing off. And we're like, Scott Cerrone, it's you! And we hug him and we celebrate and we're, we're all in, you know? And, and he's like, who are you guys? And you know, are y'all Jehovah's Witnesses? Who are you, you know? And uh, at that time it was great to be from a Baptist church. No, we're Baptists from uh, Texas, you know? And, um, and it, the person holding the camera was his wife. And he said, well, you guys, y'all need to get out of here. This is a closed city. His wife says, Scott, we have to help them. And I said, listen to your wife, buddy. Listen to your wife. Another Holy Spirit moment, right? Um, so anyway, he said, well, I've got a meeting with the defense minister of the Soviet Union for lunch. Maybe I can help. And I said, I, maybe he can help. I said, he absolutely can help. Long story short, he calls us down from our room about 2.30, right before we're going to get kicked out. This guy walks up to me and a guy named Edward Shevardnadze, who was the uh, defense minister for the Soviet Union. And what do you want? I said, we'd like to stay in your lovely country, sir. Uh, you know, we've got our tickets for three weeks. Could we do that? And he walks over to the lady who's been screaming at us for the last 24 hours. And he says two things, and she smiles. She said, welcome, you come, you come, you come. That's how we began planting churches. That's how we began this obedience to God that we've had the privilege of being a part of around the world. Of course, time does not allow us today to go into all of the things that God has done. But actually what matters is today. It's 2019. God has given us a word as a movement that the time is now. The time is now. We are, Laura and I, I'm 55 years old. Laura's 53, about to be 54. We've been doing this for 32 years. We signed up to lead the training school again because we said, man, that was our favorite job and we want to rebuild the foundations in every way. We want to rebuild the revival. We're again seeking God like never before and saying, God, is there anything in our life that's doubtful or hurtful? God, we don't want to miss this window in world history. We don't want to miss this window in the history of what you're doing because God is at work, you guys. Everywhere I go, people are like sheep without a shepherd. They are hungry. I share with a Muslim cab driver in Washington, D.C. He's hungry. I, I, I share with somebody in Waco, Texas, walking down the street. They're hungry. People are not resistant to Jesus. They just don't know Jesus. People are not doubting the Word of God. They've just never read it. It's a new day. You guys in Austin know that for longer than we have in Waco. But people are ready for something of Jesus. And some of you guys are new and some of you guys are old. But could I just invite you again today to get back on the starting line? Just get back on the starting line. One of the visions that I had when we started in Antioch, I saw... 18-year-olds at like a starting line in a track meet, and I saw 50 to 70-year-olds. And God spoke to me right then, Antioch will be a starting place again. For the wounded, the hurt, the broken, the disappointed, the disillusioned, if they'll just get on the line again. And where we started, Jeremiah 29, God's plans are good and not evil. I know for many of you, there's been very real pain, very real challenge, but that does not determine your future. Whatever has been, hey, let's just say, God, even in the mystery of what I do not understand, I lay it here, but I'm getting back on the line today. 
And I'm going to take this invitation, Antioch Austin, in this moment and where God's inviting and wooing people, not just from Antioch, but the whole body of Christ. He's just inviting the people of God back in again. I'm going to get back on the starting line. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to line back up because I'm a part of a family promise that is bigger than myself. And I'm going to engage this family holistically so that I can not miss this window. Hey, one, one last thing I need to say. You need to hear me. It is so easy to critique the church, the body of Christ, this church. You can critique all day long. You know what I've decided? I'm done with critiquing everybody because I don't have time for it. I gotta walk with Jesus. I gotta love my neighbor. I gotta engage with a community of people that want to walk forward with Jesus. Quit wasting your energy critiquing the whole body of Christ and the whole world. Quit being a critic and be a part of the solution. We're the church. Okay, let's stand together. All right. So here's it. Here's it. Everybody hang with me. This is more important than everything I've said or everything that's happened at this point because this is now your obedient response to God. I love illustration that I heard many, many years ago. People hear a sermon and they go to lunch. Oh, it was good. It was all right. I liked that. Didn't like that, etc. And I could get insecure to say, golly, I feel like I'm being, you know, critiqued by everybody. But I think it's exactly the opposite. See, the angels of heaven are standing behind me critiquing your response to God's word. If I shared a scripture, that's glory, right? What, what is your response today? Because your response will determine the, what you experience coming out of this. So everybody, if, just, if, you, if, you, if you're comfortable, just close your eyes for a moment. You don't have to, but it's just a way to focus. And the reason we do music, it's not for emotion. It's literally to keep us focused. And so here we are in this moment. And here's what I want to know. First and foremost, if you don't know Jesus, today's the day. He's inviting you in because His plans are good and not evil. And by responding to Him, today's your day to be saved. The majority in this room, you do know Jesus. So could I just ask right now that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and you respond in whatever way He would tell you. Spirit of the living God, would you speak right now? What is that one obedient response? What is that next response to you personally in our life group as a community? What is that response? Just say yes to Jesus right now. Just say yes to Him. Now I want to do a couple of prayers here. Every time the Word of God shared, He says He accompanies His Word with signs and wonders. The power of God. I've seen miracles upon miracles. And so in the, in the midst of us sharing the Word of God, why not today believe for a miracle? So wherever it hurts on your body, just put your hand there over your heart or on your back or wherever it hurts or where you have need or you can just raise your hands to the Lord if it's an emotional thing that you have right now. And I want to pray over you. We're not going to do prayer teams at the front this morning. I just want to pray over you right now. Lord, thank you 
that you came to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, and to give freedom to prisoners. And God, I pray right now that the chains of oppression would be broken, that every depressing thought would be broken in Jesus' name, and that hope would come in its place. I pray in every fear and anxiety, would you break it right now in Jesus' name and bring peace in the rule and reign of God. I pray, Lord, for every physical ailment, according to your word, they preach the word with signs and wonders following as the word of God has been spoken. So, Lord, I pray and release healing right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray for grace upon grace to even believe again, to trust again, to walk forward, God, in the simple things that you're doing and saying, Lord, you delight to set the captives free and give freedom to prisoners. And I just proclaim that freedom again today over Antioch, Austin. Maybe a last prayer, just agree with me. Lord, I pray and I'm so grateful today for all that you have done and all that you're wanting to do and i pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through antioch austin through antioch south and antioch north and the people that have gathered in your name lord thank you that your promises are sure for this people to go deep and wide and to be flung out to the city and the nation the nations of the earth thank you that that promise has not waned or flagged lord thank you again today that you're reminding this people who they are and as you remind them who they are may you empower them to be all that you call them to be Lord, I bless this people, oh God, with every spiritual blessing from heaven and with the promise of God. Antioch, Austin, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your curtains. Spare not, Antioch, Austin. Strengthen your cords and uh, lengthen, lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you, Antioch, Austin, personally and as life groups and as a people in the workplace and the people in the nations, you will spread abroad to the right and the left. Your descendants will possess nations and resettle desolate cities. Oh Lord, infuse hope again into the hearts and minds of your people, we pray. In Jesus' name.